Kings podcast sponsored by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Today, I'm joined by Stuart Van Dossler. Stuart is a lead in forage testing at Vermeer Corporation. He's been with Vermeer for 32 years, of which he's been a part of the Vermeer Forage Engineering Group for 28 years. He grew up on a farm in Iowa and has worked in the forage industry his whole life. Today, Stuart runs a cow-calf operation in his spare time. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Stuart Mendonsler. I grew up in this Pella area, farming background, I'm married with three children. Like you said, we got a small cow-calf operation. Started with Vermeer about as soon as I got out of high school and worked my way through the engineering department and really enjoy working with Vermeer and the, the products and the people and, and just meeting all the customers. And Well, that's great. Let's dive into our topic for today. We're talking about field and crop best practices. Let's talk about on a high level, why is mowing so crucial to making high quality hay and forage? Yeah, so whether you're, you know, some of the big decisions you got to make is, you know, when you cut, how often you cut, how high you cut, um, them are all important decisions on, you know, what kind of quality you're going to get, what kind of tonnage you're going to get, as well as, you know, making decisions on, what kind of crops you're going to cut, whether that's going to be alfalfa or grass, the angle of your cutter bar, uh, your mower selection, maintenance, you know, all those things affect your productivity. Now, let's dive in a, into a couple of those things that you just mentioned. Maturity at harvest. Take me through that on maybe some grasses and alfalfa. Yeah, so as as that plant grows and matures, it, you know, it becomes more fibrous. But then you want to... As it does that, the quality tends to start to diminish. So um, if you're looking for a really high yield and get, get a lot of tonnage, your quality is probably going to go down some. And then on the other side of that, if, you, if you're trying to uh, get really high quality, uh, especially in your legumes, your alfalfas, um, you're going to cut a little bit more often. You're going to get higher quality, but probably affect your, your stand longevity and now let's let's jump into that just a little bit, talking about stand longevity. That's something that's really important for a producer who's making that seed investment. You want it to last as many cuttings as possible, right? Does a shorter harvest interval, so fewer days between cuttings, add to stand longevity or take away from it? Yeah, so the fewer cuttings you take on your stand, especially in alfalfa, it's going to help out your stand longevity. You're not going to use this, take as much out of the ground. Um, it has time to come back, and if you take more cuttings, you're going to really push that plant, and it's going to tend to uh, maybe not last, you know, that next, that last year. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get as much out of it. Or maybe you're a little bit more susceptible to winter kill or, or things along that line if you're really pushing that plant. Right. You don't want to go too late in, in the season and take that last cutting and then get that uh, that freeze a little early that you weren't prepared for, so... Sometimes it's better just to let it not take that last cutting late in the year. Boy, oh boy. Have I learned that one. (laughs) (laughs) It's no fun to lose a third of a field in its third year. That's uh, that's the, the idea here is these plants are maybe a little bit like athletes. And if you're, and, and growing is, is exercise, growing takes energy. And the, the more you force it to start over, uh, this is this is like running a race over and over and over, right? That's right. Yeah, you know, and it all depends on your weather and your your location, of course. But yeah, yeah, it can take out of it. 
All right, now let's let's go to that cut height because that's something that today's equipment really gives us good control over. That angle of that cutter bar, where you set the skid plates, all of those things kind of matter here. Can you take us through your thought process? Yeah, so you know, the lower you cut, obviously the more the more tonnage you're going to get, but that's going to have some negative effects on on your field and your and your hay as well. So because the lower part of that plant um, that's, it's not as much nutritional value there. Mm-hmm. So Vermeer, you know, recommends, you know, three inches for alfalfa and around four inches for grass. Mm-hmm. Some of the reasons for that is that grass, your growing point is above the ground. So you want to cut it a little bit higher so that it can grow back quick. You get a, a much better second cutting. It's just a little easier on the plant and yeah, you'll get, just get more tonnage on that, that next cutting. Mm-hmm. For alfalfa, you know, we're, we're looking about three inches off the ground, somewhere around there. And the main reason for that is that most nutritional values in the leaves and the upper stems, and there's just not a lot of extra nutrition down there at that below that three-inch level. Now, also, what happens if you're kind of, call it scalping the ground, cutting real low on that alfalfa plant? Yeah, it doesn't come back quite as good. It takes a little bit longer for it to come back. And you're also pulling in some dirt, some dust, uh, little rocks, all that ash content is getting pushed up into your windrow. And that's just, there's no nutritional value in that. So you just don't want to put that into your, into your hay. I had a dairy farmer tell me once, scalping the alfalfa makes for great tonnage, but dirt doesn't count in the ration. That's right. It just, yeah, it doesn't help you at all. And then I always felt like it's, that's the hardest part of the plant to cut. So as you get down into the closer towards the root and, and some of those grasses and the alfalfa, it just wears out your blades quicker, and it takes more horsepower. It just um, It's just the hardest part of the plant to cut. Now, one thing that I always struggle with is do I set my skid plates up a little bit and then tip my header down to give me that adjustment angle, or do I set my skid plates down a notch and tip my header back. I suspect somewhere along the way you've done some research on that. Yeah, we like to, uh, you know, put your skid plate down and tilt your header back a little bit, let that um, cutter bar kind of float on the ground and and let that crop flow over the, the cutter bar. We think it flows better, um, just does a better job of cutting, get a little cleaner cut that way if you're tilted back. Gotcha. So not every machine has a, a hydraulic tilt on on it. So some of those decisions are harder to change, right? So if, if you're running a machine where that header doesn't tilt hydraulically, a lot of the new, almost all the new machines have some sort of hydraulic tilt, right? That would be your approach is to set those skid plates, move the skid plates up a notch so the header sets down a little bit and then rock the header back is what you just said. Right. Yeah. And most of our machines um, have the hydraulic uh, pitch control, but uh, some of the smaller ones, the more uh, the eight ten and seven ten small trail mowers, they've got a manual mm-hmm. crank that you have to turn that pitch by hand and and just set it. Yep, that's that's that thought there. So when when it's when you have to get off the machine to make that adjustment, getting that right the first time, or at least having some ideas to what's best is is useful there. All right, now. A lot of the times I hear producers telling me, oh, I got to cut closer to the ground to get to get that yield, to get that hay that's there. And there's a lot of 
regions of the country that only get a single cutting on on grass hay. Uh, take me through that height versus yield trade-off. Yeah, so you you can definitely go lower, and you're you're going to get more tonnage. But like you said, it's gonna it's gonna affect the quality of your plant or your of your forage. It's going to be harder for it to regrow. It's just going to have a negative effect on on that uh, forage that you're trying to put up because there's not as much nutritional value down there at the bottom versus there is at the top. Right, right. I've heard somewhere that it's a as much as a half a ton of dry matter for each inch reduction in cutting height. That's true. So for every every inch, there's a half a ton of uh, dry matter that you're going to gain on that, but you're going to decrease decrease uh, your quality as you do that. So it's going to depend on what operation is. You know, what do you need for you know protein levels in your crop? But uh, right, right. Whether you're beef cows or dairy cows, but that's what you're going to tend to get. Is the lower you cut, you're going to decrease your quality of your forage. All right. On the topic of mowers, what should producers consider when when they're looking at mowers? Yeah, so a couple things you can, you know, you want to look at is the size of your mower for your operation and then what type of mower you're going to get, Um, whether that's, you know, you break that down into roller conditioners and rubber versus steel and tying conditioners. And and then you're going to go to the other side where you got your three-point non-conditioners and your your trailed mower non-conditioners. So yeah, Vermeer has seen a big push in uh, from three points to our large trail mowers, and uh, we just have a lot of success with with that. Um, and some of the main reasons for that is, you know, we just uh, it takes less horsepower. You have, you know, you might have two three point mowers that you can get rid of and go to one large uh, Vermeer trail mower, and you're gonna, you know, save on manpower, just maneuverability. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a lot of reasons trail mowers have become more popular. Let's take a break there and we'll get a word from our sponsor. One reason we updated and went to the Vermeer, the durability on these balers has been tremendous. They are overbuilt balers. The weaknesses that we had on our other balers have been addressed and that helps give dependability to these balers. I'm Jeff Jones and that's the reason why I switched to the Vermeer 504R Premium Baler. See financing at baylor.vermeer.com. Now, in my mind, width is a pretty big consideration. I know guys produce thousands of tons of hay a year with very, very new swathers that are actually going to a narrower, so you get a smaller windrow that dries faster. And then, of course, they make, oh, 16 and 18 foot rotary mowers and 16 foot sickle swathers, like there's all sorts of different options and combinations out there. Could you talk me through the width and uh, the width of the header? Yeah. So on some of these Vermeer mowers, uh, the 14, 10, 12, 10, you know, we're looking at, you know, 20 foot um, cutting width, but then we've also got the narrow transport. So that machine uh, hydraulically folds and you can get down to nine foot transport width, which is just great for, being super efficient and knocking out a lot of hay mm-hmm. and then all pulling it up and driving down the highway and not have to worry about traffic or cars or yeah just uh just to clarify in folks mind how wide is that mower that you're talking about that hydraulically folds to nine foot it's a little over 20 foot so and right does, around that 20 foot mark does that make one windrow or two 
it's it's two floating cutter bars. They're they're independent, mm-hmm. um, but they tip really makes one windrow. But there is a slight separation in the middle. But there's two separate cutter bars, so they can follow the contour of the ground. Now the idea there is to lay it out real nice and flat, right? Yeah, get okay. it out as wide as possible. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So it's not uh, not two skinny little windrows. It's maybe a little bit of separation in the middle and then a little bit of separation on the sides, but mostly laying that crop out flat to get the most exposure. That's right, yeah. There's, depending on the crop, I mean, really, you won't see hardly anything in the middle. You have separation on the end where you're going to put your tractor tire and from the uncut crop to the sandy crop, and then, yeah, we'll just lay it out as wide as possible. I I really like that. Do you guys does Vermeer have any competition in that space? I'm I'm geeking out a little bit about this twenty foot mower that folds up to nine foot wide for all those transport and there's there's nothing worse than taking a sixteen foot swather down the road in my opinion. Yeah, there's nothing that I'm aware of that uh competes with Vermeer on that um narrow transport. There are other ones that um you know do it a different way. But not to that level, not to that. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask this next question carefully because the answer may vary. What kind of horsepower does it take to run that kind of machine? Let's, let's start with flat level ground, ton and a half, two ton alfalfa. Yeah, you know, that's a, these mowers require low horsepower. We're talking like 105 to 110 horsepower to run that mower in the, on a flat piece of ground and, and just at a nice slower steady speed Mm -hmm. now you can get better performance out of it with a little bit more oomph behind it right i think that's the case with most pieces of equipment yeah anytime you want to bump up the speed and if you're you know some hill country you know you put a bigger tractor on that you're obviously going to be able to go six seven eight mile an hour easy and um you're just going to need a little bit more horsepower to pull that up and down the hills and just drive the speed that you want to drive and then the last pro tip I'm going to add to this conversation is the weight of the tractor does matter in those cases, right? It's not all about horsepower. Right. So if you're in the, in some hills and stuff, that you don't want that machine pushing you around. So you're going to want to put a tractor that's got enough size to, to keep you on the hill and, and not slide around. Now let's move on. We, we spent a lot of time talking about mowing here. After mowing, how can producers manage dry down time? Yeah, so one of the, the biggest thing that we'd like to do is just lay that crop out as wide as possible. As, as soon as you cut it, get it out, let the sun and the wind do its job, um, dry it down as quickly as possible. And so as long as that plant's, you know, laying there, it's trying to continue to grow and use energy. And um, so you want to dry it down just as, as quick as possible. And with these large trail mowers, we let the, we let the sun and the wind do that for us. Now, I've seen this argument once or twice on, on the Facebook group on Hay Kings. Plants, they continue to breathe, right? They continue to do all the things that they do even after they're cut, right? Yeah, so as, as long as that sun is shining on them, they continue that, you know, that process of continuing to respire. And uh, so the quicker you get that down, dried down, the, you know, the less energy it's going to take. And um, you're just going to get a better quality forage when you're done. Color, big more consistent i'm just gonna have nice looking bales and respiration consumes plant sugars so that that plant is continuing to do some of its biological processes as it's drying and if you're consuming those sugars that has an effect on the end quality right yeah so as you yeah you don't want to use up all those sugars so you you want to keep those in the plant and 
So the quicker you dry that down, the more you'll have. And the longer it takes to dry that, I'm just going to say this a little different, the longer it takes to dry that forage, the longer the forage is respiring and using those sugars, right? That's correct, yes. So fast dry down is the, the theme here. The dry down that we're talking about, forages are about three quarters water when they're cut, right? And it depends a little bit on what type of forage we're talking about, but 75% water is where we're starting at. Yeah, so that's about 75% moisture of the time you cut it. And that means, you know, in a field of, it's going to yield about two tons of dry matter per acre. It's got to get rid of that 720 gallons of water per acre to get it dried down to 60 to 65 percent moisture for haylage and that's that's you know that's like two and a half or three tons of water right that's a lot yeah Yeah. three tons of water and then if you're trying to get it down to that you know kind of 13 percent sweet spot you're looking at almost six tons of water to go from 75 percent down to 13 percent moisture that's just staggering to me yeah there's a lot of moisture in that plant and it's it takes a little bit of time to get rid of it so that's one of the reasons you want to lay it out wide and let it continue to do its thing. Let the sun and wind do it. Now, we're going to divide the country up and understand that there's different production regions. And maybe you get to the desert southwest and they're making alfalfa in three days at 118 degrees with 20 mile an hour winds. But you get maybe to the central part of the country and certainly the east coast where the humidity is higher. That changes how you're handling that crop after after it's cut, right? Yeah, it takes a lot longer to dry down when the humidity's high and the plants, especially your first cutting, and um, there's not a lot of air movement in that field. Yep. So it just takes takes longer to dry down. I want to hear about some of the types of tests that Vermeer runs in their engineering group. I'm always interested to pull the curtain back a little bit. Well, one of the tests that we, that we do um, is a bump track test. Um, we take a new piece of equipment that we're testing and we'll uh, we've got a concrete pad with different bumps on it that are bolted to the concrete, and we'll we'll drive that machine, pull it around that for a certain number of laps, and and just look for fatigue. Uh, we know what that machine, how many laps an acre is equivalent to. Mm-hmm. Test that we can do and give us a rough rough estimate of will that machine last in the field as far as structurally can it handle ten thousand acres. Mm-hmm. And that's a real important test that, that we do. We do uh, horsepower tests as well, where we hook up a computer and tell exactly how much horsepower is going through all the gearboxes, drive lines, cutter bar, as well as just spending a lot of time in the field, um, going to as many different crops as possible, um, just doing performance testing, just trying to make sure that we meet every region's expectations because every part of the country is a little bit different. It's hard to design a machine that's going to fit everywhere so you you have to get out and and test in all those different locations where are some of those locations that you've tested and some of the some of the maybe more extreme crops that you put through the machines so we spend uh in the winter time we spend a fair amount of time in uh, florida um in some different crops tomafia bermuda coastals um we'll also test in texas with some of those same crops maybe some big blue stem one of the most extreme crops was uh, called king grass, and we went down to Honduras and tested down there with one of our mowers, 14, 15 foot tall with a, you know, inch and a half base on it, and it's just extremely hard to pull through, extremely hard to condition. 
That sounds to get dry. That sounds more like logging than haying to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's a it's a lot like our sedan sorghum crops that we grow mm-hmm. in Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa. Just you know, just a little bit bigger, a little bit harder, but sure. Um, <laughs> uh, and then of course you spend a lot of time in alfalfa and also orchard grass and all sorts of different grasses, I suppose. Yeah, there's lots of in the Midwest grasses. You have your um, Alfalfa's for sure, clovers, timothies, orchard grass uh, mixes. Um, Test grass is another grass that we've been growing here around Pella lately. That's something kind of new for us anyway. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, there's lots of different crops that we get into and just try to make sure that all the machines are able to run in all those different crops and different conditions. It changes constantly. Well, you know, one year is different from the next. All right, Stu, thank you very much for that most important step of hay harvest, getting the getting the hay knocked down and setting it up for a quick dry down. The main takeaways that I had today had to do with that cutting height and maybe some of those finer adjustments on a swather so you're not picking up a lot of dirt. And if you're looking at your forage tests and seeing higher ash numbers, that's something that's happening right at that very first interaction with that new crop. That's that's a swather adjustment. That's my big takeaway for today. I really enjoyed geeking out about 20-foot wide swather that folds up to 9 foot. I run lots of hay equipment up and down the road, and folks don't always understand what it's like to do that. So anything that you can do to make that process easier and safer and making navigating gates better, that's that's pretty neat. And then I enjoyed getting the curtain pulled back a little bit to understand the types of testing that goes into this equipment. It's it's quite extensive, and I know we just touched the tip today. For those of you interested in learning more, you can go to makinhay.com. Now that's making, but without the G, makinhay.com. If you'd like to sport some Hay King swag, you can check out hay-kings.com. I want to say thank you to Vermeer for sponsoring the podcast. Thank you to our audio editor, Nick Palmieri. Uh, Thank you to our social media coordinator, Jessica Palmieri. Stuart, it was wonderful to have you on the podcast, and I want to say a most sincere thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.